If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen. Quick question for you. Do you ever struggle with monkey brain? Mm -hmm. Don't worry. I'm not trying to offend you or call you out in any way. It's actually a phrase that I instantly connected with because my thoughts are constantly bouncing around like monkeys jumping and swinging from tree to tree. But then I found that we're able to develop this focus skill, which means that it's something we can strengthen. It's not just something that we were born with and we tap out at a certain amount. We can develop it more and we can strengthen it so that we can reach all of our goals, which is why I'm really looking forward to today's chat with my guest, Kurt Steinhorst. Kurt is the author of the best-selling book, Can I Have Your Attention? And he's a thought leader who explores how human attention affects the health and productivity of organizations. He's the founder and CEO of FocusWise and also head of people at Venus Aerospace. His consulting practice helps leaders build focus teams by using research based in brain science, which you know I love, generational differences, and also different trends in technology. So, Let's jump into the details with Kurt. How are you today, my friend? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yes. Well, I really am looking forward to this conversation because I am a 90s kid, right? Born in the 80s, raised by the 90s, and then shaped by the early 2000s. And uh, and I just think about how much this world has changed as it relates to focus and, and our attention span. But I'm very curious, what led you to become an expert in this space? How did you find your way into this work? You know, it's funny. It, it actually starts in middle school for me. I I was 12 years old when I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. And I had this perfect model of what focus looked like in the unreasonably perfect older sister category. And (laughs) she was incredible at focus, but I struggled. And it wasn't that I was like a bad kid. I did fine with grades, which actually was one of the reasons we didn't go towards medication at the time, but it became a fascination for me mainly because I, I I just couldn't get myself focused. And it really was just a personal struggle until I had gone through undergrad, grad school, had actually jumped into the corporate world and then eventually started my own business. And it was just the volume of emails, messages, everything coming at me. And I was, it was a communications consultancy and I was in many ways getting to live my dream. I was working with people that had a huge platform and I had a chance to work with a hall of fame football player who happened to be my grandfather's hero. And my grandfather had passed away and I carry his name. I wear his wedding band. He's truly my hero. And I got this email and it was the third kind email asking where the speech that I was supposed to be working on with this individual was. And I Mm. just realized like I'm doing the thing I'm passionate about and yet I can't seem to get out of my own way. And that was when really the personal struggle became just a insatiable focus for me. And from there, I never intended it for my focus on attention to be something that would be actually my professional endeavor. It was mainly just, I need to make sure I actually can pay the bills or else I'm going to have to move back in with my parents, which is not a good look. (laughs) It's just not a good look. Well, that's interesting. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, you were in middle school, right? Well, of course your focus was all over the place, but 
you intuitively knew, no, there, there's something that's not clicking or there's something that is like an invisible wall is what I describe them as, where I know something is in my way, but maybe I haven't put my finger on it and I'm trying to figure. So the fact that you were able to identify that with the help of your family, your parents, of course, is really, really interesting. But was there anything when you were younger that did keep your attention? I'm curious if there was like, you're like, oh, I'm totally into sports. I'll watch eight hours of basketball. Which yeah, is, that's actually really advice. interesting because it, one of the misnomers of attention deficit disorder is that you can't focus on anything. And there's actually this other side of it, which is hyper-focused. And yeah, I had no problem. And you hit the nail on the head. I'm from the DFW area. And I mean... <laughs> I'm in middle school and there's not a stat in Rangers minor league baseball that I didn't have memorized. So (laughs) there was capacity for focus. It just wasn't well-directed for sure. Mm, I love how you said that there was capacity for focus and it just wasn't well-directed, which I think is where we are today is that we do all have the capacity to focus, but we have a lot of things that are trying to, you know, vie for our attention. I'm in the space of mental well-being. And so I can see, and when we talk about this, when we develop specific skills around focus and attention, then that's where, you know, I'm more centered on that specific skill. But I'm curious, just based on the work that you've done, how does it relate to, you know, focus and attention management? How does it relate to our overall well-being and, and our mental well-being? Yeah, this is actually such a wonderful question, because when people hear that I focus on focus, immediately what we think <laughs> I about I can't tell is, you also, Kurt, how many times I was in my notes. I keep focusing. Yeah. <laughs> With a condition that says he can't. You know, that's even better. Uh, you know, people associate focus with efficiency, time management, life hacking. How do you get more done at all times? And the truth is that's just the tip of the iceberg. And it 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 actually completely misses the foundational piece of what drives our attention anyways. We focus on what matters. Like our attention is naturally wired to be captured by whatever at any moment is most interesting, most new, most fascinating. And what we actually found, there's a a landmark uh, study and a big book in the early 90s called Flow by Csikszentmihalyi. And what they found, they were studying the emotional state of people in various activities. And they found that uh, people were happier in a better mental health position when they're in a state of focused work than when they're watching TV. And so at its core, focus is really, it's the alignment of our attention and intention. It's the moment that the world disappears and we are fully immersed in one space doing something that is challenging and, and, and requires all of us. So like I, I often will talk to leaders and say, you can't solve well-being if you don't if you ignore creating an environment that ensures focus is impossible. Mm, wow, that is so good. I like to call that the flow zone <laughs> because I've felt that I've gotten lost in creating something. You know, I, I really I didn't know this until I became an entrepreneur, but I love to create different graphics and pieces that maybe could be used for marketing at some one point I was building a building websites and that was fun for me. I could lose myself. I could lose hours in this. And that's when I got my first real taste of being in the flow zone. Because before that, kind of like what you were saying, I wanted to focus because I had to get my job done. I was, I was hoping that I could, you know, focus on studying because I needed to get those grades and all that, but nothing really captivated my attention that helped me to experience that feeling of being in flow. 
Yeah. And I, I think a lot of times what happens for people is we we live in a world where the barriers to connectivity have been completely eliminated. Mm. It's frictionless. And we our job becomes like number one responsibility is being responsive. And so we are we are constantly interrupting whatever it is that we're doing to jump into what someone needs somewhere. And the problem with that is that, in fact, research shows the number one indicator of how many times you self-interrupt in an hour is how many times the previous hour you were interrupted. It creates a mindset like you literally like when someone pings you, what they're saying is what you were paying attention to isn't what you need to pay attention to. And it actually creates a pattern where you say, oh, I need to go check and make sure I'm not missing something else. I need to go check. And so we end up with this large volume of emails and things that we're doing that are unrelated to one another. And when when that occurs, when you're flipping back and forth, it's not that you can't get the work done. It is slower, mm-hmm. but you actually lose the emotional connection with that work because, mm. you know, you don't, it's almost like who like, I, I'll use the analogy, like who likes to book a hotel? No one. No one wants to spend their day booking a hotel, but, and it's just a thing on a task list. I, I get it. I have to get done. Except for the fact that if I step back and think, why am I booking that hotel? Because I'm going on an incredible vacation with my family. What was my last vacation like? Oh, what what am I looking forward to about this hotel? And now it's not just a thing on a task list to get done rapidly. It's actually a chance to create the context and the meaning behind that activity. That doesn't Mm. happen when you're flipping back and forth. So many questions and aha moments are coming out right now. (laughs) So the first thing that I, I want to just take away and make note of is when we connect meaning to our tasks, then we're connecting more to the experience. Like it's not just about the hotel that we want, but even the journey, right, of life. It's not about living in the future or the past as we know we need to be in the present to maximize the moment we're in. But the reason we're so disconnected from the present moment and maybe the task at hand is because we're not tying a meaning to it. I love that. But now also the pings, that's very interesting to me because I've noticed that I had to develop a healthier relationship with text messages because I would respond as quickly as possible. But sometimes I like shouldn't respond in the moment because of the other thing that I'm currently doing, which deserves my attention. So I started to create more space from answering text messages that translated to creating more space to answering emails and doing that in a more timely, you know, uh, space, if you will. I'm curious on any of your personal or specific techniques that help to increase your capacity for focus. What are some techniques that you can share with the listeners? Yeah. And, and, and I have to say, I think part of the reason that so much of this is a hard challenge is, you know, all of the advice when I jumped immediately into this on a personal level mm-hmm. was really good at helping me tomorrow. Like mm. I was, you know, it's like, oh, I should, I should schedule out my entire day. Um, and I would, and then I get to the day and it turns out present Kurt doesn't like anyone to tell him what to do, including past Kurt. I don't like that guy. I want to do whatever I want to do. So a lot of the advice actually isn't helpful for me. The things that work really well are the things that play into how my brain, how attention works in my brain. So it's not more effort because at the end of the day, if the solution requires active effort, we're, it's the first thing that goes out the door when we're tired. And so a, a few things that I do that are extremely helpful, you know, number one is you teach people how to treat you and we have asynchronous communication. If, if you have given it permission for the entire world to be able to interrupt you through the ping and through notifications, 
you're, you're, you're just handing over your attention, the most limited and valuable resource you have to the world. And so I don't have any notifications that come my way. Uh, actually, one exception, phone calls do interrupt me, which is a little bit annoying right now with how much spam we get. But most the reason for that is for my team, we have a, an agreed upon role. With my wife, I have an agreed upon role. It's not an emergency unless it's a phone call. So the only, so I know that anyone important, if they send me a message, it's not an emergency. Mm-hmm. If they call me, then I might have to step out. And so by creating that alignment, what it does is it just, it, it allows me to not let whatever, actually to not let the ping become king. So like, that's the first thing I do. Uh, we are going to make sure we put that as a hashtag. Do not let the ping become king. I appreciate. And I just want to pause for a moment. What a great practice. That's an incredible practice because to your point, I mean, how many times are we going to actually call somebody? Well, my best friend and I, we do call each other pretty regularly, but, but for the most part, we are just sending text messages. And when, even when I send messages, it's not just because I'm expecting you to get right back to me. I'm just throwing it out there. And then when you can get back to me, you can, but we haven't actually created that kind of relationship. We haven't spoken through that. Hey, this is what the expectation is. And just so you know, no pressure on you and also no pressure on me. So I love that. Thank you for that nugget. Yeah. And you know, what's fun about it is there is this period of like detox a little bit when you, when you get out of that habit because you get a dopamine hit anytime someone sends a message or the anticipation of receiving or sending. Um, but it, it actually becomes really freeing. Like I, yes. like, yes, I get to the end of the day at times we'll have 15, 20 text messages. I knock them all out fast. And I, and I, and I'm not divided in my attention. Like I, one just mental thing I always remind myself is like divide your time, not your attention. Like give my full attention in one direction. That's where value is created. That's where happiness occurs, like, and then jump to something and give my full attention to it. And so if I think that the the goal isn't how fast I respond, but the goal is how fully present I am with whatever I'm doing, the relationships are stronger, the work is better. So my full focus is actually the best way to create real value. Yes. Oh, I love that. Also, you may be doing this, but when you're answering those 20 text messages, because I do this often, instead of texting with my thumbs and going on the keyboard, I just send audio messages now. I'm like, let me also give you the full answer and not, you know, go through curating a perfect or did I say this right? Or let me go back. Like, let me just hop on really quick. That's <laughs> the next best thing for me personally. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you said that because one of the uh, things that I just hammer on, hammer the drum on is asynchronous audio and video is one of the best ways that you don't lose all that comes through the nonverbal communication. Yes. So I use Loom video all the time instead of emails. Me it's, too. They're the best. <laughs> yeah. Great. I love that. Okay. So the biggest technique that I just heard from you is making sure, or, or at least making sure that you have healthy boundaries around communication so that you can get into focused work. Is that yep. correct? Yep. And any other, and, any other techniques yeah. you want to throw so out I'm there? So I just pulling out this note card. I have to be honest, this was from yesterday, but I, the other system that I use, and I know everyone has a different system, but there, <laughs> this is at least certified to solve the ADD person's brain. And that's that I have a daily note card. And 
every day I will either end the day before or start the day, start the day with basically dividing that note card into like dividing it in half. And on the left side is where I put the one to four big things that I will define success by. Like these are hard. They're going to take more than 30 minutes. And like, so those are the big things I've said, this is what I got to do. And then on the other side, I, that's the list. That's just the ongoing, oh crap, I got to remember to do this. Oh man, I need to reply to that person. Those are the quick hits that accumulate. And then on the bottom of those sections, I put bonus. These are the, these are the things that I would like to get to, but I have to give myself permission to be successful. And I don't know if I have the space to do it. And then on the back side, I actually remind, remind myself of like personal non-work related things. So they're not in my same visual line of sight. And by having a note card, it makes it really easy because I throw it away at the end of the day. So yeah. it's like, this is all that matters today. Like for me, I need to know what matters today. And yes, I have a, I use Notion for my computer, but I, if I, if it's on paper, it means that I'm not rude when I pull it out and make a note. And it also means that I'm not at risk of like diving into the cesspool of distraction that my phone is or my computer is. So like yeah. a single note card every day for me is like the best way to manage the daily workflow. I love that. I have a similar technique that I'm going to share. <laughs> I have, I went on to Amazon and I found a daily to-do list. The one that I found that I love the most, instead of just having 47 lines and I could fill that up easily, right? But that's yeah. called my forever long to-do list. But for me to just get the things that I need to, done to, to do today, I always have done the big three. What's my big three? And then anything else is a bonus. Well, on this, it had your three priorities, but but it also had a short list of like 10, maybe 12 lines that you could write other things. So exactly what you just said, my big three that I know are time consuming are up at the top, but everything else that pops in my mind, like, oh, don't forget to go to the cleaners or don't forget to call the doctor. That goes on those smaller lines. So that way I know, and maybe I do get the big three done, but I only allow myself and my brain the capacity to just know these are the things that we have to do and then yeah. everything else we can get to. So I appreciate that because there is also something about ripping that page off at the end of the day and throwing it away. That's right. That's right. I don't need to remember what I did yesterday. I need to know that I close that chapter so I can be fully present in what's moving forward. Absolutely. I, I, well, I'm curious, do you do any meditation or anything to also help with that? I, you know, I, I've used Headspace for years. Yes. And, you know, it's funny because there's all kinds of research and evidence that shows that mindfulness and meditation is really the secret like superpower of developing yeah. your capacity for focus. I also, and also the fountain of youth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a, it's incredible. I I have found over the years I'm less dependent on Headspace, mm -hmm. but especially early on, just having something helping guide me through it, and also saying it only needs to be ten minutes mm -hmm. makes it possible for me. Mm -hmm. And you know, often what happens, especially you have ADD. What do you need if you have ADD? You need to do attention training, which is what meditation is. Mm -hmm. But that's also hard. <laughs> so like mm -hmm. I found that having an app that can actually support it, it's not the only one that just helps facilitate it, really is what made this go from like painful to actually enjoyable and refreshing. Mm, 
I love that. I love that. It's for me, for me, meditation was always a, a slippery slope because I'm like, oh, I love it. I believe in it. I'm going to do it. Whoop. There goes my attention bouncing <laughs> all over the place. And then I would think to myself, well, I'm not doing it right. So I'm not going to do it, but I knew that it would be so good for me. So when I finally got back into it, shorter guided meditations were more helpful, even finding different practices, like rubbing my fingertips together and noticing the ridges or something small like that bite size helped to increase my capacity to focus. And they were smaller movements or smaller chunks of time even, but just over time, it's like I could feel that muscle getting stronger. (laughs) Well, we live in a moment where it's like we have everything so immediately available to us. And, and it actually creates just this potential for consistent self-disappointment. Like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, yes, I'm going to meditate. It helps with attention training. I've done it two days and it's still struggling. I'm still struggling. I don't get it. It's like, no, actually just give yourself complete permission. Stop feeling guilty. If you drift off, if you're only doing it six minutes, four minutes, just start somewhere yeah. and know the, the worst thing that happens is you don't get to it that day and you, you are where you've been forever. Yeah, You know, yeah. so I, I, I'm just a big fan when it comes to especially attention training that the enemy of actually doing it is feeling guilty about it. So let's mm-hmm. just like acknowledge. And in fact, maybe even a bigger point here is when I got into the research on attention, it became really clear to me how much of the best practices, the life hacks might sound good, but they, they ignore human attention. Like your brain is not wired to stay focused all day long. In fact, it would be terrible for your survival because when we focus, we actually, we block out the type of attention that's being done. It's like left hemisphere, frontal cortex. It's, it actually blocks out anything unknown. Like you zoom in on one space. Well, I mean, if you're in a jungle and a lion's coming, you better have your attention directed (laughs) towards the new and interesting unexpected. So your brain is made to flip around. Like it's Mm -hmm. actually a survival mechanism. Right, right. And to your point, how about we not feel guilty about it and instead start to develop different skills or use different tools that can help us in the moment we're in, which is so that's why being in the present is so important because you become in you become attuned to what you need in that moment. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from meditation is it's not just about focusing on your breath and keeping your attention there, but it's being able to just notice when your mind wanders and then bringing it back to the home base because it's the same practice. So learning that unlocked so much for me because now when I'm in work and I'm in what I call deep work, which I know you do as well. I learned that term from Jenny Blake. And so that's my flow zone. When I recognized that I was in that, it's not that other thoughts didn't come. It's not that I wasn't thinking about having to make a run to the grocery store or the next presentation I want. It's not that that wasn't happening. It's just that I now had a tool that could say, oh, I can notice it. I could jot it down even if I need to on a piece of paper. And then I can come back to being in that meaningful, deep work back into my flow zone. So it didn't stop the outside distractions. It didn't completely eliminate my mind from wandering, but now I was able to bring my attention back to the task at hand. And that was the most valuable. Yeah. It's at its root. Um, if you understand that we're living in an, in what some economists will, economists will call an attention economy, the most valuable resource you have, the one that companies will spend $375 billion to get in advertising is your attention because they know that if they have your attention, they have your pocketbook. Like it's that simple, but they actually have way more than that. 
they the the direction and type of attention you pay shapes the quality of your relationships your view of the future mm-hmm. um, your capacity for excellent work and and you can control it you 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 can actually be intentional about saying am i going to in the sea of distractions just be adrift as a you know like a raft or am i actually going to direct it so i'm going somewhere in, in, intentional and and that's really what at its core we want to aim towards is being in control of the thing that shapes our future yeah yeah oh i being in control i i think about this often the best thing as you just mentioned that you can give someone is your attention right if you're present with someone and you're in deep in conversation but man the way that you just mentioned it too is like yeah, the way we give where we give our attention shapes our perspective on the world. It shapes how we spend money. It shapes where we want to move. It shapes how we want to live, the work that we want to do. I mean, it again, this is a great segue into one of my questions that I started to think about for you is like information overload is real. And I and sure, I think there are some natural attention deficiencies, but I think that given the world that we live in now, that a, a huge source of this problem is information overload. So what would you say are some strategies we could practice when dealing with that, that? And how can we protect ourselves and be more intentional with our attention? Yeah. And and you just nailed it. In fact, Herb Simon was a sociologist in 1971. He said that a a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Like that is actually the driving factor here. And I, I think I, I want to start by just dispelling a myth. Consuming more information is not the route to becoming more valuable. We have consistently believed we have an information shortage problem. Information is only as valuable as your ability to have access to it at the moment you can act on it. And the more you consume, you know, the more that you fill, uh, it, there's actually a brain science term called cognitive load. It's the amount of information you can put into short-term memory before nothing goes to long-term storage. So when we overfill our mind with information, especially the further apart that information, meaning Twitter is like a perfect example of this. Like, I need to go on and see what's happening. Great. You have now you've just gone through 400 bits of information, largely unrelated to one another. And my question is um, not what did you read five minutes ago? But do you even remember what you read on Twitter two days ago? The answer is no way. I feel so seen right now because that is me with TikTok. I love TikTok. And I'm like, oh, this is great information. And I have had that exact thought. I'm not even remembering these great information. Like, thank yeah. goodness I can save it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the more tired we are, the more that we're going to go and seek out new and novel stimulus. Like, it's just mm-hmm. the way our brain works. And don't I don't feel guilty about that. Like, there are times it's been a long day. TikTok's funny. I, you know, it's like, I, how many times I can see a cat hit a dog in the face? Like, I, I'm, uh, that's awesome. As Our algorithm showing us the same thing, correct? Yeah, that's right. As long as I know that I'm, I'm really just, I, I, I'm doing something fun, entertaining, uh, actually re- a little bit relaxing. Yeah. But when it comes to me then moving into the mode of um, the type of information I'm t- trying to digest actually matters to me. That's when I want to cut out the things around it and fully immerse myself in a single subject. 
And then there's a lot of research that shows take a break after that, like dive in with yep. a certain type of information. Don't even, you don't have to do like memorization or study it or re like run it through your mind over and over again. You don't literally by just taking 10 minutes afterwards and like going on a walk, having a conversation that actually creates this capacity in your brain to start synthesizing and moving it more towards long-term storage. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so dear listener, what he's talking about also is our brain is working in two ways. It works in focus mode and also in a diffused mode. And these are also differences in meditation. So you can have a focus meditation, you can have a diffused meditation, but if you're studying, for example, or if you're working on a project with your team, once you leave that space where you have been focused on work for however long, to spend five or 10 minutes doing nothing or going to get a snack, or if you work from home, going out and gardening for a few minutes or whatever that looks like, your brain now, once it goes into diffuse mode, as Kurt mentioned, it starts to sort through the information that you've just acquired and it's sorting, okay, what do I need to hold on to? Where do I need to place this? So Instead of you going from one activity to the next activity to the next activity, which then is an injustice to your brain and the way that it is uh, created to function, if you just create a little bit of space where it can go into that diffused mode, it's going to help you to remember the most important things that you were just working on. So thank you so much for for pointing that out, Kurt. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the other aspect of why we naturally just are constantly consuming and, you know, it's like I'm walking out of a meeting, pulling up my inbox to reply to someone while I go to the next meeting is that we we are aware of how much we have on our plates. And so we're trying to get we're trying to offload. We're trying to reduce the drag. But really, I think the thing that we have to pivot towards is realize my attention is so limited. It's so limited rather than how many things can I consume and how fast can I consume it? It's how can I make it useful? And so adopting the practice of like, this is a phrase I have in my phrase, like mind that comes across often. It's a, just a really simple tool. And I just put, do I care? Like, do I care? Does this matter? Like I have to constantly check myself because like, yes, uh, there's something happening somewhere in the world. Someone's offended by something. Uh, something's gone wrong somewhere. I'm here. I'm in one place. and the fact that the entire world can reach me and scream about something awful or something incredible, or something new, I don't actually have to care. And yeah. by not caring, it, it's not me being not compassionate. It's giving me permission to care about something that I can actually act on and do something mm-hmm. about. Oh my gosh. Ooh, that just hit me right in the heartstrings. <laughs> that is so good. Again, it's just being more intentional about where you give your attention. So I know that we talked a little bit about deep work and I know that struggle of needing to carve out that space so that I can focus and create, if you will, think even, I mean, giving myself permission to think was a huge growth moment for me, (laughs) but it really was helpful when I read, again, Jenny Blake, her book, Free Time, she mentioned how we should be scheduling our deep work. Now, before I tried to create these parameters of this is the time, but where what helped me after reading her book was like creating days. And listen, I know not everybody has luxury of creating a full day where you can do deep work, but even having a day without meetings, like we have gotten so far into doing meetings for every little thing, meetings about meetings that it really has taken away from our ability and our, our time 
to think and to create. And so it was a game changer for me when I switched that up. I mean, even they talk about time blocking within hours. I time block my days. Like I have very all Wednesday podcasts. Why? Because that's where my energy is going to go, 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 go. Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, I'm on with clients, but Mondays and Fridays, I bookend my week with the things that I need to do autonomously, whether it is thinking, whether maybe I'm learning, I'm in a course right now, whatever that looks like. And that was an absolute game changer for my energy. So I'm wondering how can one balance deep work with the constant demands of communication and collaboration, you know, all the meetings, all the pings, what are your suggestions for that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the way that you framed up that question because these are, there's these moments where I, where we can like wax poetic about what would be theoretically possible. And you're like, well, are you going to tell my boss? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. They, they don't have the same goals for me. So I actually do will say that uh, one of the, the biggest mistakes we make when it comes to trying to improve our ability to focus is, is that we ignore the fact that attention is social. And so you have no shot of being able to create better rhythms if you don't have conversations and get get allies among those who ask for your attention the most. So I, I will just say, yes, you actually should have a conversation. Like there needs to be a way that you have permission within your calendar to be unavailable to the world and it not be an indicator that you're not working, but an indicator that you're actually doing the most important work. And so I think starting by saying whatever rhythm you take, whether it's I'm going to do an hour first thing every morning, or I'm going to take I Fridays, every other Friday for me is a, we have 980s at Venus Aerospace, which is a role that I took on a little over a year ago. And for me, that's my deep work day. But I also then I always put nearly every morning, 90 minutes, basically like, this isn't what I'm going to do calls, not what I'm going to do meetings. Like it's just blocked out and people know, and, and it really comes down to the fact that my, I, I know that my value is not based on the volume of things I respond to. It's based on the quality of a few things that require significant effort and mental strength and mental stamina. And so I, I know that I, I create value through the, in those blocks far more than I do in my availability and responsiveness the rest of the day. Yes. Yes. And one of the biggest things that I had to learn about myself as I was creating that new habit, because <laughs> it takes time, folks, it takes time, uh, was that it wasn't that I'm creating this time to do everything because maybe for the next seven Fridays, I'm just working on the edits for my book. But at least I know that that's what it's for, right? Maybe it's that I'm working on something very specific for a presentation. Like it doesn't matter. It's not about you cramming things into that time. It's about you just owning that time to be able to focus on whatever you deem is most necessary and important on that particular day at that particular time. Yeah. And I actually would say, like, what is the most important thing you can do in that time? Identify what actually matters. Like that, that is, you know, people ask, like, how do I stop being distracted? Distraction isn't because I flip onto Instagram. Like that's a, that's a symptom of distraction. Distraction at its core is confusion about what matters. That, that when we don't have clarity that something is worth our full attention, then we will feel pulled in different directions will be victims to whatever comes our, our way. And we'll also lose the meaning that comes from that because we're letting the world dictate everything for us. So like if nothing else, like starting by saying, I don't even know what I'm going to accomplish. 
I'm going to step back and I'm going to say like, what actually matters? Like what really will move the ball forward? Being busy, getting tons of stuff done in the wrong direction doesn't get you closer to your goal. Yes, that is so key. So for all the things that continue to move from one day to the next on that piece of paper, I keep writing (laughs) now I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, okay, well, what matters here? And I personally am taking that away as a, a, a great gem is that tying meaning to these tasks, whether it's the small tasks or the big projects, whatever it is. I know I am. I felt it when you said it earlier that it's going to change the energy that I bring to that work that I'm doing, which then is going to increase the quality of that work. But that can be used again, small tasks, big tasks and everything in between. So thank you so much. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing about this. I, I did a project with Nike and we, it was a called the focus fit challenge. And one of the days, the activity is we call it throwing a trash party. And those things on that list that just keep being delayed, you know, sometimes it's because it's actually super important and it feels painful. It's too big. We need to divide it down. But often it's evidence of like, just throw it in the trash. Like, stop saying you're going to do it. Yes, the closet should have gotten cleaned. Yes, I should get to inbox zero or not. Like, you've been doing okay without it. Like, don't feel like just because it, like, if it's staying on your list and you keep going to other things, maybe it's because it doesn't need to be on your list. Like you don't have to do everything that everyone says that you need to do. You literally can't like everyone can reach you and everyone just needs a minute, but it turns out you, you don't have as many minutes as you have people who think that all you need to do is take one minute with it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much because I I have not heard a lot of people being so specific in this area, which I think we all need a lot of help on and you are doing it so well. I mean, again, thank you for just being open and sharing your personal journey and how you came to discover that this is a need, but also being willing to do the work and share the strategies and learning new techniques. I am fascinated by your expertise and so grateful that you brought that here to our audience. So thank you so much, Kurt. Well, thanks for having me, Karen. This was a true pleasure. Absolutely. We'll make sure that all of the goodies, where they can find you, people connect with you. And of course, the link to the book are in the show notes. And friends, thank you so much for being with us on another episode of In the Details. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.